Hey, y'all. You know, every now and then, the biscuits aren't done in the middle. Well, that's kind of how our week's been. But don't worry, we have got a treat for you. We've dusted off one of our favorite tales from way back when. So grab a glass of your favorite Southern libation, kick back, and enjoy the Strange South classic. And as always, thank you for listening to The Strange South. If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. And that's why I'm excited that you're going first, because I'm probably going to finish this drink and be totally blitzed by the time uh, that mine comes around. This, so this Hold is, on. let me sit with my drink. Okay, you get your drink. Just, oh my God, the look on your face is awesome. So this is how this came. Like, <laughs> it was probably like a day, it was probably Sunday, like the day after we recorded last time. I was just going through my Facebook feed and I follow Vice Magazine this this article popped up and i was like no <laughs> and i clicked on it and i and i i read like the first like three lines and immediately just in my brain i was like please be in the south please be in the south please be in the south <laughs> <laughs> and you know what there's a bit of a cheat on this because it begins in georgia okay the whole story is not in Georgia. So, you know, we, we met, met the rules. I was like, you know what? If the payoff wasn't so big, right. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be taking this chance. <laughs> but, but to me, the payoff on this one is pretty gargantuan. I swear, y'all are probably going to be thinking it's way bigger than it is now because I'm just like, <laughs> to me, this one just blew my mind a little bit. I'm going to try and tell this so I don't ruin it flat out. But OK, so I, I there was this Vice article. It was about this guy named David Huggins. And uh, right now, today, he's still alive. He's in his mid 70s. He lives in Hoboken, New Jersey, I believe, in the same house as his ex-wife, who ha he hasn't been with since like, I think the late 80s. I think they've been divorced that long. He is a bald, super skinny, almost frail looking guy. Um, He's one of those folks that like you can tell that he's got all his original teeth you know, <laughs> because of the way his mouth moves. And he, you know, he has usually a pretty long, scraggly white beard. He wears glasses. He's a pretty nondescript guy. He works at a deli down the street from his house part time. He has like a VHS collection, specifically VHS. I don't know why he's dedicated to VHS of like sci-fi and horror films, like several thousand movies. And like if you would ask him about any of them, he'd be able to pull them straight off the shelf and tell you who was in it and when it was made and all this kind of stuff. He's not from Hoboken. He grew up in a far on, on a farm in a farming community in Paulding, Georgia, in the 50s. And that's what I was like, man, Paulding County, Georgia is like where Roswell and like Alpharetta, I think, and Sandy Springs are all in there. And that's like Metro Atlanta now. That's like Atlanta suburbs. Oh, but really? I guess maybe that's... in the maybe in the 50s or maybe it's a larger county than I'm aware of. I just remember those cities. So in the 50s, it was it was primarily a farming community. So but, you threw me off with Roswell thrown in there. I know that's not just, Roswell like right. alien Roswell, but Roswell, Georgia. Right. 
he grew up in this farming community. His parents drank a lot, both of his parents. And, you know, here I take my, let me take a sip of gin. He said they also hit him a lot. Mm. You know, he, he got the belt a lot. He got like really heavy switches a lot. Angry drunks. Angry drunks. His parents fought all the time. His dad cheated on his mom all the time. Winners. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, like, probably. Yeah. And he says, you know, growing up was like hell. He said it was like hell living with his family. When he was 19, he moved from Georgia to New Jersey to be an art student, which is interesting because I'm like, there's not a whole lot of information I could find about like his childhood. And you know, what's funny is I feel like I could probably figure out a way to get his phone number and just call him and ask him this stuff because I would like to. Oh, wow. (laughs) That would be amazing. Record it. Yeah, if if I do, you know, I really should. You know, he said he he moved up there. He's he's in this art. What was it called? Art Student Alliance. He was in an arts, you know, organization. And, you know, he was he's 19. He's friendly, but people wouldn't date him. They thought he was weird. Art Um, student. Yeah. And, you know. And I think he was kind of weird, judging yeah. by all the rest of what happens here in the story. Student. <laughs> so he, you know, he goes through, you know, he's he becomes an I guess he becomes an artist. It didn't say whether he had a day job or anything like that back then, but he got married. His wife's name is Janice, I believe. And I think his son's name is Michael. So he had a little boy and lived, I guess, what he thought was a fairly normal life, if a little bit like, you know, off balance. And then in August 17th, 1987, he started remembering things. So 87, can we put an age to about how old he was? Because I can't do math in my head. Let's see. He was eight years old in 1952. So I guess he was, that would make him born in what, 46? So in 87, he was 40. Okay. About for God, about our age. What am I going to remember now? (laughs) The things he remembered like flipped his shit out. I mean, he thought he was going crazy. He started feeling watched. He had paranoia and anxiety. He had heard about this author named Bud Hopkins. He's a paranormal hypnotist and a ufologist, I guess. And he had written a book called Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods, which I think anybody who like follows UFOs probably recognizes all these things right away. It sounds like it's canon. Right. So David gets this book and there's a chapter in it on sexual encounters with aliens. And as he started reading this chapter, these memories like flooded his head and scared the shit out of him. So let's go back and start talking about the things he started to remember. So this goes back to his childhood, too. So that's what I was going to say. Was this something that maybe happened in Georgia? Yeah, he started seeing things in his childhood. He he called it seeing things. His dad called it seeing things. And the first time he told his dad about it, his dad like whipped the shit out of him. His first encounter was when he was eight years old. It was 1952 and he was standing in a field and somebody called his name, called him by name, like, hey, David. And he turned around and there was a little hairy guy with large glowing yellow eyes, like walking towards him. And he said he saw it and it didn't really I don't think this one like actually came up to him or ran at him or anything. But he said that he looked in its eyes and he felt like he was in the alien's eyes looking at himself. and then. The second encounter, also in 1952, a giant insect thing that looked like a praying mantis, he found it in his barn. He went into the barn to do chores or something like that, and the thing sprayed him with gray liquid, and he ran away screaming, and the liquid evaporated, and he never knew what it was for. Oh, my God. Third, 1953, he heard a sound like a cow, which is not unusual because they were in a field and there were cows. It was a farm community. Yeah, it was a farm community. And then he looked and he saw a head popping up from behind a bush. And there was a bright light. It was like a little like with it was a, you know, a small bald head with large eyes. 
a bright light came on him and he fell down in a faint. And when he woke up, there were little gray people all around him. He heard three loud beeps. And then all of a sudden he was like standing chest deep in weeds at another part of the, the property. And there was nobody else there. So, okay. <laughs> Let me just ask questions here. Okay. Were these encounters or were these sexual encounters? These are encounters. Okay. We haven't gotten. Okay. <laughs> we haven't gotten to puberty yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Okay. Oh, no, it gets better. Okay. I, I promise. I, I didn't promise. know if you're just kind of glazing. Nope, over. I'm not. Oh, okay. no. Believe me, I'm not going to glaze. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Let me drink some more. So, so the fourth encounter, again, he's eight or nine years old still. He said all these blue guys drop from the sky and just run full speed at him. And he races away, hides behind his house, and their house is built so that it's like, I don't, you, you've probably seen farmhouses like this, but it's like kind of up on blocks. It's like the right. house doesn't have a foundation on the ground. It's like raised up. Mm -hmm. And so he could yeah, see under the space. house to the other mm -hmm. side. And he said he could see all their legs wandering around on the other side waiting for him. But then they just walked away. They didn't bother him. But that, and that was the time that he told his dad and his dad mm -hmm. like beat him. Right. And he went. Later that night, they came to his bedroom like he saw him out the window and they came into his bedroom and they took him out and he floated up into into a craft mm -hmm. in the sky, he said. And a woman came in like a tall alien woman. She had a long wand that she thrust up his nose and he said it was like she'd put something up there like a tracking device or something like you track whales is what he said. He said it hurt. And when he told her that it hurt, she looked distressed and she took his pain away immediately and he said that the craft that they had he'd like he'd seen them like he described them as like round he described them as oval he described them a bunch of different ways bright and dark depending on when he saw them but he always said they were silent so he's like if you're walking around in the street in a city and there are car horns blaring if one of these arrives it's not just that it doesn't make any noise it's that all other noise stops when it's there oh wow okay and i'm gonna like i wasn't gonna I'm not going to say this just yet, but <laughs> the descriptions are worth so much. The reason why he has these clear ideas of all of these things is because later on, he gets permission from these beings to paint all the experiences that he's had. So he has paintings of every single one of these things that has ever happened to him. He's painted every encounter. He's painted all the beings that he's seen. And so, like, you see this, he has, you know, and I'll, I'll put these oh, on. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, I can show them to you right now because I pulled them up on my computer so you could look at them. Yes, I'm curious. He has a painting of this encounter where they shove the thing up his nose. And the woman alien, he always paints her the same. She's like super tall. She's really pale. She has a very human physique. <laughs> but, you know, at this time, she's covered in a long blue robe. She's always covered in a long blue robe. And she's got like a fucking Cleopatra style wig on every time. Okay. Let me let me just show you. You can just scroll right on through these. It is it is something else. Okay. Here. So he's he's using his art <laughs> for for personal, I guess, oh. healing. Oh wow. Right? <laughs> so I mean you really can't appreciate the full like impact of the story without seeing these. So I've copied several of them to for us to post and share, and I'll I'll copy like his website and everything. Damn. He said the beings that he saw were not hostile. They were scary. Right. But he said there were little gray ones, little grays and little blues is what he called them. They were workers. There's a tall, thin guy with a, like a knob or a bun or something on the back of his head. He's the millennial be, of the group. Right? Yeah, I guess. Right. He's like, <laughs> he's like the hipster alien. <laughs> and then there's like the insect guy. He's a leader. And there are others of him. 
Yeah, it's like, where'd the praying menace come in? He's in there, believe me, the number of paintings, like, I feel like I saw so many paintings when I was looking at this, and if you search him, there are even more than you've seen before. I mean, he has so many. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) But, and the female is just one of many, and some of them are, like, gigantic tall. His 21st encounter with these creatures, he's 17 years old, it's 1960. Oh wait, the, the... you know, this is all coming straight from him, and I'm thinking the numbers don't add up, so I don't know how well he remembers it. Sometime, early 60s maybe, he's 17. He has t- learned to call this female that always visits him, her, her name is Crescent. That's what he calls her. And so he's 17, he sees Crescent in the woods, he walks out to her, she tells him to lay down, takes his pants down, gets on top of him, and has alien sex with him. His yeah, first experience, a there is a picture. There of is that. a picture. Yes. It's, it's a, yeah, there is a loving, <laughs> actually, it's not loving. I it's think not what, loving. I was what like... makes the painting so interesting is because they're, the emotion in them is really complex, I think, and kind of weird and a little bit scary. Yeah. He says his climax was very painful. He passed out immediately after. He woke up with his pants around his knees and no memory of what had happened. And, you know, so all these things are things that he's just now remembering at the age of 40. So that was his like he that was his cherry popping moment right there. Mm-hmm. Like was this Cleopatra wigged, like blue robed alien woman who, you know, he's painted nude multiple times, multiple times. She's built, man. I mean, like, she I'm is. not, not going to knock her. She is. Yeah, she no. is pretty hot. Then. So his 26th experience was after he moved to New Jersey. So they followed him when he left. Well, he has the tracking device. He, him, right? he, apparently, yeah, they can't they can't not follow him. It was 1965. There was a transit strike in New Jersey. And so <laughs> he was walking in the rain and he was trying to hitchhike. And there was a black car that came up and a woman inside who drove him home. And, you know, he doesn't remember these experiences. So he didn't recognize her when he got in the car. That night, he dreamed that there was a woman and he had sex with her, of course, because that's what we do. He heard her say, we'll be back tonight. And every single night for months, he dreamed this woman and she said, we'll be back tonight. And every single night for months, he had sex with this alien in his dreams. And he painted all of these encounters. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get free swag, extras, exclusives, and a discount on merch. You can find links to all these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode. Strange South t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and other goodies. See you there. He's, he's like counting all of these encounters. 1966, he was like, okay, I'm finally going to try and believe that this is actually a real thing. So he buys flowers puts him in his apartment, says, if she's actually real, these are hers. They're for her. When I get up, they won't be here. Got up the next morning, the flowers were gone. This is what he says. So that night he cleaned his entire house before he went to bed like he was having house guests. <laughs> and he went to like he was getting ready for a date, right? Because right. like this is the only girl he's ever fucked. So he's right? like, okay. You know, like I said, he didn't date people. And you know, here's thinking like, okay, he's just now remembering all this stuff in his 40s. It kind of like 
I wonder why nobody dated you when you were in art school. You know, right? <laughs> like you might have been like a little tad impacted by all this shit or weird. So then the next night after that, like they had a dream and they rubbed their foreheads together. And it was like he said, like the most erotic experience he had had that he's like he said, uh, because there's a movie about this, too. Of course, I watched the entire thing. And, uh, <laughs> and he said he says in the movie. He says, if you've never rubbed your head against your lover's head, you should really try it oh because God. it's an extremely intimate experience. Oh I was like, God. I don't know if my lovers have like the kind of brain that works by osmosis to right. like whatever it is that this woman's brain did. So this I'm, alien I'm woman. looking at this nude picture of, the, of this alien. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm not going to lie. She kind of looks like a naked woman version of somebody from Kiss. <laughs> I can totally see that. <laughs> like not one of the lead people, but maybe like the drummer. <laughs> we should maybe do a side by side comparison. <laughs> we should post that on Instagram somewhere. Oh, bless oh, you, David. My gosh. So yeah, he says so he starts describing Crescent. You know, she looks human. She's got long, dark, dark, scary claw nails. You see it in some of the paintings, but not all. Large eyes, pale skin, like we said, you know, Cleopatra hair. And he starts thinking of her as his girlfriend because, you know, that's what you think of people who come every night and And have sex with you, Um, right? Yeah. So she's always on top. I was like, oh my God, she's like a man's dream. (laughs) She's like, you don't have to do anything, baby. You just lay there. And he said, basically, when she's on top of him, he's paralyzed. He can't really do anything anyways. And I'm like, how does that work exactly? There is a painting that he did. (laughs) You may not see it in there because I think it's kind of hard to find. (laughs) But there is a painting of Crescent. And I can't remember if it's one of the insect beings or if it's another woman standing on either side of him, ejaculating him into a cup on a table. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, and he's and I, this mild mannered, like 70 year old man. Oh, my God. And he just seems so sweet. And here's these pictures of like this, like erotic alien porn. Anyway, so this is what he's this is what's going on with him at this time. So 1967, he's already painting. He's gotten permission from them to start painting things. And he said his wall opened to reveal Crescent and she's freaking out. And all he could hear her say in his head was the baby's dying. And he, you know, he's in love with her, I think, really. Like and he yells, show me the baby, show me the baby. She she like brings it and he she's holding it and it's like limp and she's holding it like under its arms and he tells her that's not how you hold babies <laughs> and so he tells her how to cradle it and then he asks can i come to you and help you with this and she says no and he's like well i know how to do it so he goes over and he makes himself pass out on his bed <laughs> and the next thing he knows he's in the alien craft with crescent and the insect being who is super pissed that he has come against their wishes so he goes over and he touches the baby that she's still holding And the baby moves when he touches it. And he's like, it's almost like static electricity or something. And so the insect's like, oh, okay." And he takes he's like, come with me. And he takes David to a room that is filled from floor to ceiling with David babies. Hybrid David alien babies. What? Floor to ceiling. And he goes and he touches all the babies and he says, whose are these? And the insect says, they are yours. (laughs) So he has been propagating a race of hybrid alien people beings for what purpose we don't know (laughs) and here's here's one of the things that i think is interesting like if you when if and when because you know i know you are all going to look 
at our feed and try and see these photos because that's what we do, right? Like I'm telling you about alien sex and like and like alien Cleopatra boobs. You're gonna be there. inquiring minds want to know. In inquiring minds want to know. Like I have, you know what? No judgment. I'm all about it, y'all. Like we're <laughs> this is this, the movie. this is how we roll. But I know that you're gonna look at these and then you're gonna look for more because that's what we do. And oh my god. And you'll see if you look at enough of them you'll see that there is a really kind of disturbing trend in these paintings if you get used to them and you kind of you recognize the color palette you recognize the similarities from one to the other but there are people who have described his paintings as traumatic and i really think that comes across because one of the things you see fairly often not all the time but fairly often is this crescent character grins and laughs at him a lot and so like when you're asking like what's the purpose of these babies i'm like I don't know, but I don't know that she's 100% like your friend. Right. You know, I mean, and there was one time shortly after that, there was one time that David like completely flipped because he was sleeping and he broke down because he was convinced that one of his babies died. Mm. And he just was like sobbing and could not be, you know, consoled. And Crescent came to him and like tried to comfort him and said, everything is fine. He heard the words in his head again and again. Everything is fine. And she she ended up having to come to him and show him that the baby was still alive. And that like later on, he saw one of the children like as it grew and it looked like him. You know, there's a painting of him and Crescent sitting in two stools with the baby between them. And the baby looks exactly like a tiny version of him. Right. I say that. So oils, oils on canvas, just, Mm -hmm. you know, anyway, he starts remembering all these things. We're back in 1987. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, all these things are flooding in. He starts remembering them. And he's He's, already married at this point. He's married with with a son. Mm -hmm. He's recognizing that this is going to be, this is going to have to be part of his life. Like this stuff is taking over his brain and he needs to paint these things because he considers it a form of dealing with trauma. And he's Um, like, honey, I've got to tell you something. Exactly. He has exactly that conversation. Mm -hmm. And she divorces him a couple months later. Well, I completely understand. I do, too. She said he was crazy. She said she didn't want to hear it. And, you know, and I don't want to hear it as one of those things that comes out like I think they probably had a couple issues already Mm because you don't usually hear. I don't want to hear it. So anyway, he had, you know, they divorced. She thought he was crazy. When he started painting, finally, he just couldn't stop. Like Mm. he painted and painted and painted, but he started sleeping and he hadn't been sleeping. Uh, Like this whole time that he's been seeing the aliens? It sounded like he had never really felt like he got good sleep until he started painting. So he painted and he started sleeping better there. I mean, so there are paintings of these things that I've described, these encounters. There are paintings of UFOs over Manhattan. There are paintings of portals that open in walls and aliens that come in cellophane packages. There are paintings of like monster women and him teaching his own babies how to nurse. Like there is there is is a painting of him suckling from his like his alien girlfriend while the babies watch. And, you know, they, it's he starts sitting down with the paintings and, you know, they just keep on as soon as he sits down, it just comes out. He said one time he actually did one that he made up mm-hmm. and he said he destroyed it because the beings were super pissed right. and they were like, you only paint what happened. And he burned that painting. I'm curious to see what that was like, you know, and here's the thing. OK, the documentary that I'm talking about, this movie that I watched that by the way his art has been shown in multiple places people buy it 
the documentary that was created is called love and saucers mm-hmm. and there's <laughs> there's an that. art book there's an art book that you can buy for about 20 dollars on amazon you know, it's just called to casually exactly. have out on your coffee casual table. yes for, the, the the art book is called love in an alien purgatory the life and fantastic art of david huggins it's put together by a ufologist and who happens to be an old neighbor of his and you watch this documentary which i really do highly recommend believe it or not like I'm fascinated by this guy. And I think the reason that I am is not only does the documentary only take. Now, I understand that this is a manipulative documentary trick. Right. It takes his view and it doesn't really allow for dissenting views, though they did contact his ex-wife and she refused to be. Right. You um, know, I have actually heard about this guy like mm. when it first came out oh yeah when like all of this like was came out in the news or whatever and i gave it all of about two minutes <laughs> of my attention because somebody like a psychiatrist or somebody said that this is probably he was abused as a child yeah. sexually and this is how he like manifested a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. to deal with it and so after i had that i was like okay and then i just like didn't pay any attention you know and i don't necessarily think that that's untrue right but what's interesting is because he has such a voice in this documentary it's an effective coping mechanism for him right so like whether whether he had alien encounters right or whether he has had to create a very very serious very unusual way of dealing with childhood trauma right this seems to be a very humble very down-to-earth dude who 100 percent buys what he is selling right and that's what's fascinating to me about right exactly you know it's like if you watch him and listen to him talk he is so likable right and it's just really, and I mean, that's why I was saying like, you know, I could probably call him and he would answer my question because I really do think he would. Right. I really do. Yeah. It's just, that's what's fascinating to me. And that's one of those things. It's like we do sometimes write things off because they're coping mechanisms, but I'm like, you know, if it's an effective coping mechanism, right. if it that's works for him, like, yeah, that's kind of amazing in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. And there's obviously an audience for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a big audience for it. You know, they interviewed people like his boss at the deli, his neighbors, there are a lot of people who say they believe him because they know who he is. Right. You know, and they're like, well, I, you know, he's a good guy. I, I wouldn't question it. Right. I wouldn't question it. He's never been on medication by his own admission. He's never been hospitalized or institutionalized as far as anybody knows. He says he's never even been sick. Because aliens have cured him. I, it sounds like maybe he's, you know, for whatever reason. For whatever. He also doesn't look like he eats a lot or, you know, I mean, like he's probably living a very healthy, like, right. lifestyle, I guess. I think one of the one of the last things that I'll say about this really is that in the documentary, they interviewed, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce his name right, Jeffrey Creepall, who has written, it's K-R-I-P-A-L. He's written a lot of books on like issues like this, but he's actually the professor of philosophy and religious thought and former chair of Department of Religious Studies at Rice University. Interesting. And one of the things that he said was that the history of religion is all about weird things coming from the sky and doing shit to people. Absolutely. Burning bush. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they used to say it was angels and demons because that was the concept that they spoke in. Right. And he's like, the concept that we tend to speak in now is Mm sci-fi. I mean, if if things are coming from the sky, they're aliens. So, I mean, he kind of compares whatever it is that has happened to David, whether it was something that happened in childhood that he's coping with now or whether it really is something that happened over the course of many years. He 
he compares it to a sacred experience Mm -hmm. that he said, you know, they tend to be terrifying and they tend to be ecstatic because you're being broken open by something. And you look at those paintings, man, and you cannot question that that's what's happening to this dude. Right. Anyway, that's my fucking story. <laughs> Epic. And, Chad uh, was not wrong. Oh my god! I was like, please, I want to use this one so bad. Um, there we go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>